Welcome back to the Such Things Podcast. I'm Lisa Lang, and today my husband David is joining me for uh, episode two of uh, Overcoming Insecurity. Good to be back. Yeah, so I thought it'd be great to have David here today to share his perspective on um, how he struggles with the next thing we're going to talk about in this episode, which is perfectionism. Uh, But before we get into that, I just wanted to do a little bit of review. Um, In the last episode, uh, we defined insecurity as a lack of confidence, doubting oneself, doubting your capabilities, feeling like others are better than you, and feeling down on yourself because of that. Um, insecurity comes from comparing yourself with others, their looks, their accomplishments, what they have, and feeling like you and your life and accomplishments aren't as good. What I have learned from Bible study and self-reflection is that I do believe that many forms of insecurity are rooted in pride. Mm. Um, Last class, we talked about how I believe as humans, it's in our nature to be competitive and to want to be the best. Uh, It's also in our nature to not be content with who God made us to be. Um, We talked about comparing ourselves with others, like how Cain compared himself to Abel um, and how that makes us insecure. We talked about... um, how we can sometimes not be content with who who God made us to be, like Eve. And uh, we just want to be better than who we think God made us to be, and we become insecure. So uh, in this episode, I want to talk about perfectionism and how perfectionism can lead to insecurity. So what is perfectionism? Uh, God is perfect, but He is not a perfectionist. Um, I believe uh, one definition of of perfectionism is, um, at least in psychology, it's a personality trait characterized by a person's striving for flawlessness and setting high performance standards accompanied by critical self-evaluations and concerns regarding others' evaluations. Okay, so... Uh, Aren't we like trained to do that? Right, right, right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I definitely think that uh, so much of our society is based on this kind of thinking. Um, But I do think some people tend more towards this personality trait than others, um, which is why you're here, David. That's why I'm here. I knew. Uh, No, I mean, I do. I think there are some areas that I struggle with perfectionism. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a perfectionist, um, but my parents, my parents are perfectionists, and I know that they wouldn't mind me saying that. They freely admit that they struggle with that as well, um, as I know does your your family as well, David. Um, so I definitely have some of those tendencies, but I want to give us some theme scriptures off the bat that uh, if you have something to jot these down with, these are really helpful, I think, for perfectionists. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. This scripture has helped me tremendously, not only not just with perfectionism, but with insecurity in general. It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That's kind of a mouthful. But um, if you meditate on that, when you compare yourself to yourself or to others, it's not wise. Second Corinthians 10, 12. Uh, the next one is just later on in that same chapter, Second Corinthians 17 and 18. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself 
who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And, um, you know, I, I thought about these two scriptures because I think perfectionism can have its root so much in comparing ourselves to our own standards that we come up with. Um, you know, perfectionists can compare themselves with their own self and with others. Um, they can set standards for themselves that they think they need to meet. Um, and I think these things are things we come up with in our own minds. They're not standards that God has set for us. Mm. They are our own. Um, and I think that that's, that's the root of the problem. We have these ideals that we think we need to meet, but they're something that we came up with. They're not what God expects of us. And that's when we run into trouble, and that's what leads to insecurity. When we don't meet these standards, we feel insecure and down on ourselves. And we can also compare ourselves with others in certain areas. Um, especially others that we respect and look up to. Um, and if we don't measure up to those people, we can feel bad about ourselves and insecure. And, um, and we're constantly struggling to approve ourselves rather than to seek approval from the Lord. Um, people who struggle with perfectionism usually have a hard time understanding grace. They aren't gracious with themselves. So how could they accept that God would be gracious with them? And if they do understand that God is gracious, sometimes they don't even really care. Um, I think perfectionists can struggle with thinking that God is a pushover, maybe a parent who is too lenient on their children and should discipline them more harshly and punish them for the bad things they've done. Um, they may not admit this, but it's almost like thinking that God's grace is a weakness mm -hmm. and that showing grace to yourself or to others is a weakness. David, um, how do you see perfectionism come out in your daily life? Yeah. Well, let me get on the microphone perfectly. Oh, uh, there's lots of perfectionism going on with the microphone here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so I think I, I like the feeling of being in control. I hate the feeling of being out of control. Yeah. Um, like any activity where I feel out of control, I, I don't like it. So perfectionism, I think for me, is is a desire for a feeling of control. Mm. Um, okay, I got to get it right. You know, get this organized, and then, you know, I'm, I'm safe yeah. and everything is good. I like order um, in, you know, in our finances, uh, in my lawn, <laughs> in my yard, um, right. in our home, you know, yeah. you always get annoyed when I, if I try to help, you know, clean the kitchen, I'll reorganize the, the, the whole refrigerator or the pantry. And then I um, can't find anything. Well, but you could, if you would follow the, 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 the organizational I mean, system. I already know where everything is. <laughs> Do you? Just doesn't um, make sense to you. <laughs> um, but I like order in, in our home. I like order in my schedule. Um, and so then as you're seeing, even in this interaction, it leads me to want to try to get other people to act right, uh, to, <laughs> to be in line. My kids, um, maybe my wife, um, my church, you know, um, people around me, uh, cause then I can feel good, you know, but what I, I think what I'm learning, uh, and this is a process, um, is that I'm not really in control, um, control is often, more often than not, an illusion. It's a mirage. Um, it's not really there. God is in control. 
not me. And even God, as I read the scriptures, even God seems to allow a lot of stuff to happen uh, in life and in this world that's very messy. Yes. I'm like, God, what, what are you yeah. doing? That's not how I would do it. Um, there, so, so there are things that I can control and there are things that I can influence. Uh, the former is actually a pretty small list. Um, uh, there's actually a lot of, I, I don't have absolute control over that many things. The latter, you know, things that I can influence, that's a longer list. But even there, um, my level of influence um, in some areas is, is, is more than others. But even honestly, you know, back to our previous, you know, podcast series that we did about prayer, often the greatest influence I exert, I'm learning is, is actually through prayer. Um, and I would encourage everyone to go back and listen to the, the last series we did on the Lord's Prayer because I'm kind of having to humbly come to the recognize that I, I don't control a lot of things. I can influence some things. And my greatest influence is prayer because God has way more control than, than me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I appreciate your perspective, David. And as you'll see in this podcast, I mean, we're even David and I are different and can struggle with this in different ways. Um, so it's helpful helpful to have your perspective. Um, I do think that sometimes perfectionists um, may not admit or even see this in their heart, but I do wonder what um, our reaction would be, any of us, if Jesus were still here on earth and we saw him extending grace to someone that we thought should be punished. And I think that this is especially important in our world today. Um, I think that God extends a lot more grace than we are even aware. Um, I think the woman caught in the act of adultery is a great example of this. John 8, 3 through 11 Uh, Read along with me. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone, stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, who are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think the Pharisees were perfectionists. I think they measured their worth and other people's worth by how closely they could keep the law. And they were testing Jesus to see if he would do the same. Wow. I wonder what they would have done if Jesus stoned this woman. Would they have applauded him? Would they actually have believed in him? But his grace towards her made them hate him. Wow. And then he called out their flaws as they were trying to point out all of her flaws, he actually called them out on their flaws. See, <clears throat> I do think as perfectionists, if we are made aware of our sin and see it, what it means for us is that we are flawed. 
We are imperfect. Right. And it's hard for us to handle that fact emotionally. It can completely overwhelm us. And this is the part that I do completely relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a few responses, okay? And these I know from, from myself. We either avoid acknowledging our sin. If someone tries to show us something that we have done that is wrong or sinful, we get angry we defend ourselves, we explain it away, or we rationalize our behavior and make excuses for ourselves to avoid dealing with the truth. And I myself have done that many times. It's so hard for me to see um, that that I have flaws. It, it, it overwhelms me. Yeah. Or this is the other thing that I can do. We know that the person is right that's pointed out to some, something to us, but we can't handle it emotionally. What they've shown us in our character is too big for us to change, and we feel hopeless to do so. So we take a downward spiral, feeling horrible about ourselves and feeling worthless. Mm-hmm. And I have done that as well. As a perfectionist, we either feel great about ourselves or horrible about ourselves, depending on how we measure up to what we are trying to achieve. And there isn't really an in-between. And honestly, a perfectionist isn't satisfied with an in-between anyway. Um, this verse has been a, definitely a theme of my disciple life. Proverbs 12, 15, he who hates correction is stupid. Uh, <laughs> woo, that one just, it it gets me every time because um, I, I do hate correction. And I have had to learn to not hate it, and I've had to pray to not hate correction. But um, I I always have that gut reaction of like, stop it, um, stop pointing out my flaws, um, because it it means I'm I'm flaws and I'm, I'm flawed. And what it also means is that the person who corrected me could see my flaws, right, there it is. and that's what they thought of me. So much of this can be caught up in what other people think of you. And that's what it is for me. Now, I know that God loves me, but somehow that's just not enough. Everyone has to love me too and think I'm great. And that's a struggle for me. Um, So my perfectionism comes out for me, not necessarily needing to see myself as perfect, but needing others to see me as perfect. I don't want others to see my flaws. Um, I can struggle with, you know, having people over to my home and feeling so um, insecure that someone's going to think I'm messy, disorganized, dirty. Uh, if my house isn't perfectly clean and organized, like David said, the pantry, you know, I'm, I'm not a, like a super organized person. Um, but I know that someone might come over and look at my pantry and see just chaos. And again, I can make sense of it, but a disciplined, organized person can't. But then I wonder, what do they think of me? Because I'm so unorganized and it really just eats away at me. Um, David, how do you relate to this? Yeah, I think, I mean, the defensiveness point um, is is big because um, I think for me, underlying um, my perfectionism which can cause me to be defensive, is um, is a, an underlying sense of guilt mm. and shame. Um, I feel guilt for my imperfections, um, which leads me to shame. You know, I don't want anyone else to see my shortcomings, like you were like you were talking about. I I, I feel 
um, like, well, if I if I haven't met these standards, then then I'm guilty. You know, maybe I'm 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 a failure. I I deserve punishment. Um, so rather than feeling that way, that like cognitive dissonance, it's like oh, I don't like that. As you were sharing, so sometimes it's easier to just push it away because um, I don't want to feel bad about myself. Um, but acting like it's not there, well, that leads, then that's wrong too. That's, that's arrogance on my part to not be willing to admit my imperfections. So I think we, we perfectionists seem to, uh, vacillate, um, seamlessly, uh, sometimes within, as my dad used to say, within 10 minutes, uh, between arrogance and, and extreme guilt or Mm. shame, you know, the arrogance of, Hey, I'm perfect. I'm the best. Um, to extreme guilt and shame, like I'm a failure, I'm I'm a loser, um, I'm nothing. It, it's a lot like what Paul describes in his own heart. I appreciate Paul sharing in Romans chapter seven about his own sort of internal battle. He says, "Although I want to look, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me." waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That feeling of, ah, I'm so wretched! Um, But he says, well, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God. It's Jesus. So who will rescue us from this perfectionistic mindset? Lisa! rescue us. Um, um, how, how can we overcome? I mean, I think we've, we've defined it and we've, we've talked about how it manifests, but how do we, what steps can we begin to take to overcome perfectionism? Um, well, I'll, I will get into that. Um, I have some practicals here um, that I'm going to just just give you that I hope can, can help you in overcoming this. Um, Again, these are things I've just learned from my own life, and I'm just sharing them with you. But um, one of the first steps in overcoming perfectionism is learning to acknowledge and own that you are, in fact, a sinner no. and flawed. No, no. <gasps> don't <Gasp>. do that. <laughs> um, it's hard for perfectionists to acknowledge their sin. As disciples of Jesus, we all know that we are sinners. You have to know that to become a a disciple of Jesus because you have to be aware of your sin and repent. Um, But even when we repent, it's not like the sin is just non-existent and we don't struggle with it anymore or that we're not tempted anymore. We still sin every day. 1 John 1 verse 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Mm. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Yikes. So do not claim you have not sinned. We have all sinned and we are all sinners. Anyone who doesn't see this is deceived about themselves and needs to read more in the scriptures to understand about sin. When we avoid acknowledging our sin and we try to be perfect, we are saying we don't need a savior. We're saying we can save ourselves by our own righteousness, and we're relying on on ourselves instead of God, which is pride. 
The Pharisees, that's what they did. They tried to earn their salvation through righteousness, and they were more concerned about people seeing their good deeds than God. Jesus said to them and to to many people, Matthew 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Us being right before God does not have to do with other people and trying to impress them. We need to make ourselves as best as we can be to please God and not to impress others. Yeah, I I think I'll just add, I was thinking, I'm probably combining, I might be combining two different Psalms um, where it talks about, show me my hidden faults. Yeah. And then it says, um, show me if there's any offensive way in Mm -hmm. me. Um, I think those are some prayers that, that we have to, pray, you know, regularly like God. Yes. I know it, it's not just, Hey, I know I'm a sinner. No, it's like today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's, there's maybe some sin I've committed today, yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, and God, you know, help me to have the humility. God show me that. And, um, oftentimes it's the people closest to us. You know, it's you, it's, it's my wife, it's our spouse, uh, that, that where God will show us our, those hidden faults, they're usually hidden from us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, acknowledge, having that humility to, God, I want to keep growing, you know? Yes, absolutely. If this is a struggle for you, pray, 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 pray about that. Those those are great psalms, um, great little snippets to pray. God, see if there's any offensive way in me. Ask God to reveal it to you so that you can see the things that God wants you to work on. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in prayer and prayed that, and then the next thought in my head is, some interaction that I had with some person and it became very apparent to me how I needed to repent in this situation. Um, Also praying that you will want and desire correction. And um, like I talked about earlier, um, not, not just correction from people, but just to like to to know what you need to grow in and change. Um, having that kind of heart of humility of, yeah, if there's anything that I that I have done wrong, show me because I, I want to change. Yeah. Just and and I think it helps me to think about Jesus. Like because as a perfectionist, I can quickly go to this place of like, okay, just show me all the bad stuff and oh, gotta deal with it. Ah. Oh. But I like it. It helps me to think like, look. I want to be more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love Jesus. I respect, I admire Jesus. And I know there are areas of my life, my heart, that I want, you know, so I, I want to become more like Jesus. Not more perfect, per se. Right. He right. was perfect. But I want to become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That kind of helps put me in the right place there. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think that goes hand in yeah. hand with the next step, which is learning to accept God's grace. Amen. You do have to see that you are a sinner and that you are flawed. But then hand in hand with that is learning to accept God's grace. You can't accept God's grace if you don't think you need God's grace. So first you have to see you're a sinner, but then you have to see 
that you need God's grace and you have to accept it. Um, Paul talks about not earning our salvation through deeds in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved through our good deeds, and we are not saved by being perfect. No one is perfect except Jesus. He's perfect, but he's not a perfectionist. Um, but that is why he is our savior. Um, he, he was perfect. Um, but we are saved through God's grace. We need to understand this to overcome perfectionism. Accepting, accepting God's grace means accepting that you are flawed. It means you accept your weaknesses as areas of your life where God's glory can be shown. We still need to repent of sin when we see it in ourselves, but our repentance doesn't earn God's love or salvation. Romans 5, verse 6 through 8, many of us are very familiar with this scripture. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us at our worst, not because we were good or perfect, but because he knew we couldn't be good on our own. <laughs> he knew we couldn't be perfect. Um, now, we know that God created us to be good. That's what we talked about in the last episode. God created us to be good, and he says that we are good. But we are good because he loves us, and he chooses to see us as good. As, as Jesus, in fact. He chooses to see us as he sees Jesus. If God loves us and wanted us at our worst, we need to learn to accept his love and stop trying to earn it with our goodness. David, do you want to share about your struggles to understand this? Yeah. Um, so studying my Bible to really grasp and 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 understand uh, God's grace was huge for me, uh, especially when I was a new disciple. Um, I, I, it was something I had to, I had to go through the Word of God and actually try to pick out all the scriptures and understand the concept of God's grace. Um, at first, uh, when I began to study the Bible, I think I thought I was pretty awesome and um, kind of deserved a special place in God's kingdom. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty, you, you know, I, I'm a, I'm, yeah, that, that was my, that arrogant side of my perfectionism. But then as I became more aware of my sinfulness, then I began to feel like I was terrible and I could never make it in God's kingdom. There's uh, no place for me here. Um, both of those attitudes, those, those that, that yo-yo, that pendulum swing, both of those attitudes were caused by perfectionism, mm. but grace was the great equalizer for me. Um, you know, realizing that, okay, Jesus was the only one who got it all right. The rest of us are relying on his merit through God's grace. And, um, just this, this idea of grace and study. There's so many passages. Lisa read a few of them. I would, you know, rewind the, the podcast and like, 
study those, meditate on those, um, reflect on them, pray over them, um, and really get a get an understanding of God's grace. That was so helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know there are times when I become very flooded with my weaknesses and especially if someone like my husband or a friend were to bring up something that I did that hurt them. And then it sort of reveals to me all these things that I feel like I need to grow in and I need to change and I need to overcome. And I can feel so overwhelmed, like, God, I can't change all this. And then I start to go to a place where, well, David brought this up or my friend brought this up and they, boy, they must really hate me or they really don't like me. I'm a terrible person. I'm not fun to be around. No one really wants to be my friend. And I take it to this terrible place instead of just looking to God's grace. God knew that was there all along. <laughs> Even if it was new to me or brought up in this situation, God saw that all along. He knew it was there. And he loves me anyway, and he wants to use me anyway, and he sent Jesus to die for me. And that's what I need to focus on in those moments when I want to take it to a dark place and feel down on myself. Yeah, well, this is not in our notes, but but it is real. It's true. And it, this is a dynamic that definitely comes up in our in our marriage. Yeah. And sometimes when, when we're resolving a conflict, I know you've told me I've done this to you. You'll bring something up to me that you need to share with me, speak some truth to me about myself. And I might like, I'll, I'll overreact like, oh no, you know, I'll, I'll feel terrible about myself or, mm-hmm. oh, well then I'm just this. And, and, and you've done the same thing to yeah, me. And absolutely. what do you think, Lisa, what does that, when, when one of us acts that way to the other, I mean, what is it, what does it end up doing in that moment? <laughs> Well, I think it it kind of clouds the issue, you know. Um, I you you end up like if I if I just take it to a very dark place, then it it doesn't become so much about oh I hurt David as it becomes woe is me I'm terrible and the focus is more on myself and taken to a like an inward place that's not helpful helpful that's more like a worldly sorrow like yeah I'm terrible really that's what it is it's worldly sorrow it's not wow I hurt you I I need to change and you know what I can change because God is gracious towards me and you are gracious towards me and I'm going to do what I can to change. I think it, it makes the focus more on ourselves and in a worldly sorrow place, and it doesn't really help the person that we've hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay, moving on. Um, I think the next step, once we, we can acknowledge our sin, um, but accept God's grace, then we need to adopt the when I am weak, then I am strong philosophy. You can't see me making quotation marks with my hands, but uh, (laughs) um, when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to stop putting confidence as, uh, uh, but we need to stop putting confidence in our flesh, in in who we are as people. Um, What is this when I am weak, when I am strong philosophy? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. This is Paul speaking. 
He was talking about receiving all these great revelations from God. Um, boy, I think that would make you feel pretty awesome about yourself, right? Um, to <laughs> receive revelations from God that no one else could see. I don't even really know what that is. Like, were they dreams? Was he taken somewhere? I don't know. But um, it says, therefore, verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Yikes. Uh, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That scripture for really for anybody, but especially for a perfectionist can just make you cringe like, oh, no, those are the things I hate. I hate weakness. I hate insults. I hate hardships. I hate difficulties. Um, But really what it comes down to it, when we're a perfectionist, God's grace is not sufficient for us. Um, Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. It needs to be sufficient. Um, But when we're a perfectionist, we don't get it. We don't accept it. We think we need to earn it. We don't care that God is pleased with us because we care more if we are pleased with ourselves or if others are pleased with us. Um, I think Paul in this situation had a lot of reasons that he could have put confidence in himself. He was given these amazing revelations from God, revelations that probably were not given to any other human. That must must have been very tempting for him to think like he was God's favorite um, or that he was simply better than other people. And he admits that. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um... Wow. You know, I personally, this is a side note, I personally think the thorn in his flesh was blindness. Um, He was blinded on the road and later his eyesight was failing. Um, But, you know, we'll have to ask him one day. But that's my personal belief that I think I think is I think his thorn was blindness. But anyway, um, let's talk about what God said to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to ask us today is God's grace sufficient for you? Mm. Is it enough? Amen. Or do you need to be perfect in your own eyes? God's power is made perfect in weakness. Meditate on that for a minute. If you think about it, if you are weak in something, but you were able to overcome through relying on God's power, then the victory is God's. And it shows how powerful he is to be able to show strength through your weakness. You know, um, I talked earlier about having anxiety, about um, having people into my home. And um, it can be a struggle for me. And I know we are called by God to be hospitable and to have have people into our home. But every time I'm going to have, especially like a crowd over, I get anxious for some reason, whether it's about having my house clean or having so many people in my space. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of factors, but I do it anyway. And if I can actually have people in my home and prepare 
with peace, without going to a place of stress and anxiety, um, then the victory is God's. And, uh, you know, I, I have prayed so much about this, but God has given me victory in this area. And, um, I, I'm very grateful and give him the glory when I actually can pull off a, an event at my home and not have terrible stress about it. Um, you know, there's another great scripture in Philippians 3, uh, verse 3, about not putting confidence in the flesh. Um, it says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Our flesh will let us down because we can't be perfect. Um, we can't put our confidence in the flesh and be truly confident because it won't last. Our flesh will let us down and then we will become insecure. Um, Romans 12 verse 3 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We need a sober judgment of ourselves. We need to see ourselves clearly, weaknesses and strengths. But it takes faith to see ourselves with sober judgment because we have to believe we can overcome our weaknesses and struggles. I do think that God reveals our weaknesses to us in accordance with our faith. I think if we saw all our flaws and weaknesses at once, we would be overwhelmed because it would be too much to change. But as we grow in our faith, um, we believe that God will help us through our struggles and we can accept more and more the weaknesses that we have. I've certainly seen this in my life as a disciple. I've I've seen more and more of my flaws the longer I've become a disciple. I think they were there all along, but God has just revealed them to me as my faith has grown because I can handle more of it and see all the more that I need to rely on Him. David, how can you relate to this? Well, yeah, this is this is so important. When I'm weak, then I'm strong, um, and it goes against, uh, you know, my nature, and I think even just goes against kind of the American way, you know, this sort of like, hey, never let them see you sweat, you know, mm-hmm. weaknesses, you know, don't 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 show your weakness or you'll get taken advantage of. Um, but I'm really grateful for one of my early mentors, uh, Paul, Paul Humphrey. I remember him teaching me as a younger disciple, a newer disciple. He said, David, you got to learn, let them see you sweat. Let people see you sweat. He said, he was trying to teach me like, hey, you know, even he was teaching me about leadership as well. Like as as a Christian, it's not the same. It's actually good to allow people to see that I, I am a sinner. Mm. Um, in fact, if I if I do the opposite, it it, it kind of can turn people off because people are like, "Man, what's wrong with you?" Um, in this case, the American way is not the Bible way. I mean, every Bible character is clearly shown as flawed, right. except Jesus. I mean, right. every Bible character, yes. like you see them do some pretty terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking of in my head right now. Goodness. Yeah. Paul, Their Peter. sin isn't hidden. It's, yeah. it's there for us to read. David, Moses, Abraham, they all, like, wow, I could, we could, some terrible things these, these men did. Only Jesus comes out perfect. But even Jesus was extremely vulnerable and open in times where he felt sort of 
weak, you know, like when he was weeping for Lazarus or when he was overwhelmed in the Garden of Eden and he was, you know, I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane (laughs) and he was sweating and he was, he asked his friends and he was, he says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. Stay here. Keep watch with me. And he prayed like even Jesus who never messed up, who was perfect, was so vulnerable and open. Mm. He let people see him sweat. And so the more I can just be humbly honest about where I'm at, be be real with people. Um, I think the better. And uh, thanks to to Paul for teaching me that lesson many many years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why people become perfectionists. Um, like David shared, some of it is a desire to be in, in control. Some of it can be a reaction to abuse and. Um, you know, sometimes people may need counseling to overcome some of those tendencies. Um, but sometimes it can be overcome through actively working on growing in humility. And uh, as David was sharing about Jesus, that's my last point here, um, that we need to learn from Jesus's example of humility. Jesus had every reason to put confidence in his flesh, yet he humbled himself to be susceptible to human temptation. He had no weakness, but he became weak so much that he said in John 5, verse 30, By myself, I can do nothing, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Even though Jesus was God, he didn't trust in himself. He didn't rely on his own strength or on himself or his own wisdom. He knew Um, that because he was a man, he was susceptible to temptation. And this took complete and total humility for the Son of God to accept. He was God in the flesh. I mean, I can't even imagine, wrap my brain around that. He was perfect, but he knew he was susceptible to weakness, so he relied on God. He knew the only way he could overcome temptation and choose to do what was right every time was to rely on God. Jesus must have been praying constantly. You can't get any more humble than that. He was totally reliant on God and not reliant on himself at all. That is so crazy for me to even try to imagine because it's so not how I live my life. And I and I try, um, but it's so hard to even be that disciplined in my brain to have a constant dialogue going on with God and to be aware of every time I'm being tempted, every time I'm, um, you know, wanting to put confidence in myself. It's so easy for me to just turn and rely on myself and to not pray and rely on God the way I need to. Um, Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. If God in the flesh had to rely on God the Father this much, how much more do we? Amen. Humility will allow us to recognize and admit our weaknesses, our temptations and struggles, and our sin, but it also will help us to recognize our own strengths and gifts as well. And um, I'm not getting into that so much in, in this um, podcast, but uh, I will talk about that later. But um, that's part of humility as well, recognizing your strengths and gifts, but seeing Amen. that God gave them to you. You can't put confidence in those things because they're gifts from God and they're not about you. Um, 
So anyway, more on that later. But um, to conclude, perfectionism, it leads to insecurity because we try to put our confidence in our flesh. But the problem with that is that we're flawed. So when we fail, which is inevitable, we become insecure. To overcome perfectionism, we need to learn and accept that we are sinners, but sinners that Christ died for and God wants to forgive. So we need to accept his grace and learn to put our confidence in God and his strength and not in ourselves. Imitating Jesus and his humility will help us to overcome perfectionism. I hope this episode has been helpful to you. Amen. And um, th- it's not over. This topic is a big topic. So um, there's there's going to be more to come. And uh, we'll get that out to you soon. But thanks for joining us today. the Lord today, for He is all my hope and stay. Our God is good, His name is great, hallelujah.